Hello, so I'm sitting with uh, Michael Granoff, the managing partner and founder of Maniv Mobility. Um, and um, we are sitting in Therona, the beautiful Therona market, in, in the heart of Tel Aviv. Michael, thanks so much for making the time to meet with me. Thanks for coming. So, Michael, can you tell me a little bit of background about Maniv Mobility, how, how you started the fund, what was the goal of the fund when you started it around 25 years ago? So, Well, the, uh, I've been using the Maniv name uh, for uh, almost 25 years, but the fund itself is uh, just about four years old. Okay. Um, and uh, everything uh, really that's happened uh, these last number of years has been pretty accidental. It was not <laughs> pre-planned. I uh, never intended to actually be living in Israel and never intended to actually be a VC, uh, but that's kind of uh, what, what, what evolved from events. Okay, so, so what did you intend? <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, uh, clearest intention I had was in the period following 9-11 when uh, I was living in New York and I felt that um, there was not enough attention being paid to the fact that oil was a monopoly of global transportation. At that time, in the early 2000s, the U.S. was importing close to 70% of its oil. And uh, it, oil was also not being sold in a free market globally, but the price was being manipulated, production was being uh, curtailed to uh, artificially raise the price, and all this, which would have been illegal within the borders of the U.S., uh, was being done by a cartel. Uh, that was made up of countries that did not share our values. So that bothered me enough that I uh, encouraged a friend of mine to start an organization uh, that he continues to run and I continue to be on the board of, uh, based in Washington, D.C., called Securing America's Future Energy. And um, the short story is that we um, were able to get the 2006 Energy Bill through Congress and signed by President Bush that had fuel economy standards and the first ever in the world incentives for electric vehicles. and. That process really um, convinced me that the only scalable solution to the monopoly of oil and transportation was electric vehicles, and I decided to devote the next uh, part of my life to that topic. Amazing. And can you tell me a little bit about the dependence on oil? Just a little bit more misunderstanding, because uh, when I, I I'm, sh I'm shocked to learn that seventy percent of the import of oil worldwide was coming from America. Uh, no, it, it was uh, in the early 2000s, 70% uh, of oil that was used in transportation in America came from elsewhere. That number has gone down dramatically, um, both because of uh, the fuel efficiency uh, that was part of uh, our 2006 energy bill, but also uh, largely because of the uh, te technology of extracting oil, uh, particularly from shale, uh, that improved dramatically. And, uh, while the U.S. oil production peaked in the early 70s, it uh, finally surpassed that peak uh, in the last number of years because of that. But uh, as it turns out, uh, if you really want to solve the problem, you can't drill your way out. You have to diversify uh, out. And, and the only way to diversify is through electrification. What's, uh, what's become interesting of late is that that electrification need not necessarily be in the form of electric cars in the same format as the gas cars that we drove. For example, more than half of all trips that are uh, taken uh, by people in, in vehicles are uh, shorter than uh, uh, three or four miles. 
And um, what we're learning in uh, urban centers, and Tel Aviv is certainly uh, at the heart of uh, this question, uh, what we're learning is that you don't necessarily need a uh, five-passenger uh, gas-guzzling uh, sedan to um, go uh, a mile and a half within Tel Aviv. Now you have the opportunity to simply scan your uh, phone uh, on uh, one of the scooters that have proliferated around town, and you're effectively taking an electric vehicle for that trip, and you're not using a tremendous amount of, of oil. And congratulations. Just recently, as I think a week or two weeks ago, you announced uh, uh, a company that is part of your portfolio company is transforming New York. Yeah, so for listeners who happen to be in Brooklyn and Queens, this is very relevant for you. Um, Maniv announced Well, you should just week. travel there just for this. That's yes, I'd encourage that as well. Uh, just last week, Maniv announced an investment in a company called Rebel Transit, based in Brooklyn, that uh, has now deployed nearly 1,000 electric mopeds across Brooklyn and Queens. Um, it takes uh, just a few minutes to register. Uh, with Revel, scan your driver's license and uh, be approved, and uh, then you are free to use the entire network of mopeds. And I'll tell you, if you're traveling uh, within uh, those two boroughs, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better way to get around, unless you happen to find a subway line going exactly where you're going. Um, it, it, to take an Uber um, is uh, uh, both more time and more expensive than a Revel. And, uh, the Rebel is definitely the more fun uh, uh, way, way to get around. Well, you look great, also riding it. That's, that's another benefit. It's a lot of fun. And you know, uh, we're finding, actually, in just the first week of operation, that one of the uh, places where we're seeing the uh, most activity is Williamsburg. Um, and uh, the community there uh, seems to be taking to, to the mopeds. Interesting. So using Rebel as an example of the thought process of you as a VC, as an individual who is a, who is a money who manages investors uh, uh, funds and identifies companies that have the potential to disrupt an industry, like, can you give us a little bit and say if we would just peek around how your mind works right, and open up that gate? Uh, how do you look at prospective companies that are seeking funding from you? Well, um, the first answer is with the, the help of an extraordinarily talented team, and uh, there are seven of us here and. Um, we are now seeing uh, on the order of uh, 50, 60, sometimes 70 companies uh, a month that uh, come through the door. Um, and um, historically, those companies were uh, primarily uh, local here in Israel. Um, these days, uh, as indicated by the investment in Rebel, they're coming from all over. Um, and um, you know, our, our mission is to find young companies, and we invest very young. At seed stage in the companies, uh, to find companies that are consistent with our goal of a transportation future that is uh, cleaner, uh, less expensive, um, and, uh, and, and more accessible than uh, what we're uh, accustomed to. And that can be in the form of advanced uh, vehicles in the more traditional sense. We have a lot of companies that are around uh, enabling uh, autonomous driving technology, which uh, we think is a big part of the future. Um, but it's also around mobility services and, and Rebel be in that category, and uh, a lot around the data and communication around uh, uh, vehicles and transportation. So something you just mentioned, which is really interesting, is that the image that we have of entrepreneurship is that individuals must go from Israel to 
total value of the four VCs are outside of Israel in order to be able to get their initial funding. And now what you're sharing with me is that people from New York are coming to this beautiful place to throw in the market to we're, come and speak to you? Yeah, we're, we're very proud. You know, as I said, everything that happened was accidental, and uh, being a VC was accidental. And why was that the case? Because it wasn't being a VC that myself or really the rest of the team aspired to. Um, what, what, what we were motivated by was, um, you know, first this narrower issue of uh, oil dependence, but also then the broader uh, question of how technology can make transportation better for, uh, for people moving, moving around. And um, it turned out that venture was the uh, best way to, to do that. So it, it, in the end, we end up being a very sector-focused venture fund. Most funds that you'll meet are, are fairly generalist and they'll invest in all types of software and, and devices and uh, cybersecurity and sometimes also healthcare. We invest only in uh, things that have to do with getting people and goods uh, from place to place. And um, having that narrow focus means we have great relationships across uh, the global automobile industry, uh, the supplier industry, many of them are our investors. And, uh, and also uh, at the intersection of technology and transportation worldwide. Uh, as a result, we, we're, uh, we, we, we uh, have tried to become uh, experts in a lot of aspects of this area. We're asked to speak at conferences in various places around the world. Our exposure grows, and um, Revel's a great example. They, they found us when they were looking for a venture fund that was focused on mobility, could understand what they were trying to do. Amazing. So you by being very vocal about your niche and how you want to help the ecosystem allowed other people even worldwide to start hearing about you and reaching out to you so that was that was the unique approach of saying we're we're very focused this is our niche this is how we this is the problem we're going to solve whoever not just israel but beyond is willing to help us solve that problem would love to speak to you absolutely and um these days we're seeing deals uh, from Europe, from Australia, from Africa, uh, and uh, many also from, from the U.S. Amazing, amazing. So you, you keep going back to this approach of being uh, accidental VC. What was before the accident happened? What was the thought process? Um, well, you know, I um, left out the, the big middle part of the story between the time that I decided <laughs> to focus on uh, all electric and the time that we ended up um, coming to create uh, Maneve Mobility. And of course, um, uh, many people are familiar with, uh, with those years as, uh, uh, as, as what are known as the better place years. Um, and um, better place was a, a very ambitious effort to try to create a network operating company for electric cars that would uh, make cars um, less expensive for consumers to purchase and less expensive to operate and also more convenient um, by having a, really an operating company that was dealing with everything surrounding the battery, which contributes to the upfront cost of an electric car, to the um, uh, inconvenience of uh, range, and the uncertainty about residual value. And these are all problems that Better Place tried to solve uh, with its unique uh, approach and business model. And uh, so I um, was very inspired by that vision. Got deeply involved, um, raised a lot of money for, for Better Place, uh, did a lot of lobbying in Washington, D.C., especially around the um, time of uh, the bankruptcy of General Motors and the government's um, bailout of General Motors, which I um, argued should be conditioned on going all electric. The irony is now, a decade later, 
Uh, GM uh, very uh, vocally says that its goal is to go all electric. Um, it, would, it would have been better for everybody had uh, that been the stated goal um, at, that, <laughs> at that juncture. But uh, in any event, um, you know, obviously there's a tremendous amount to say about Better Place, and a lot of it has been said uh, very well by an author named Brian Blum in a book called Total that I encourage people who are interested to um, look up. Um, but um, you know, uh, it, it certainly was, was was not my intention uh, after uh, Better Place came to an end to stay around cars. I thought that was actually the last thing that I was going to do. But uh. that coincided with us coming to Israel, and also coincided with Israel uh, having this uh, sudden interest in uh, mobility technology that I was lucky enough to uh, be around exactly as it was uh, beginning to take off. Amazing. Uh, can you just share a little bit about? Uh, this award about what excited you about Better Place? How did you meet Shai Ag Agasse? Agasse. How did you guys meet? What was before Better Place? If you can just say a word about what you were involved with before. Uh, before Better Place, I was uh, I was a professional investor, but uh, without a a very deep focus. Um, I I was alongside that building this uh, nonprofit organization in Washington D.C. on energy security. And it was really the inflection point was after the 2006 energy bill when I really came to see that the only scalable way to uh, displace oil in the economy was through electrification and transportation that um, I set out to figure out how to do that. And that uh, journey uh, led me to, to Agassi. Also, the, at the very same time, led me to a guy that uh, some of your listeners may have heard of called Elon Musk. And um, I really could have gone down either path, and many people say, oh, you know, you must kick yourself. But it's, no, I don't. Um, it was a very clear cut for me at that time that I thought that the approach and the business model that, that Chai uh, was developing uh, was much more compelling than the idea of building a, a car company from scratch and trying to uh, end, end the impact of oil in that, in that way. Obviously, uh, uh, Better Place was not successful. I'd say it was not successful because of the failure of execution, not a failure mm -hmm. of vision. I think had it been properly executed, that the, the vision was 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 brilliant and and was uh, entirely achievable with the with the right execution. Um, Tesla, you know, uh, obviously has uh, accomplished a tremendous amount, uh, but the journey jury is still out on their long term future. So going back to that, you being a, an investor, what factors were you looking for? And obviously, there's a. It seems like. Uh, and I'm curious if this is just you or if it's a, if it's a common theme that we're trying to find is that there's a bigger problem that you personally believe needs to be solved, which is you're going back to already a few times you mentioned, which is we depend on, on oil yeah. and creating security, uh, that that dependence on oil is creating a lack of security for your family, the communities that you care about, you know, and beyond. So that's a motivator for you, right? Yeah. OPEC has not been a force for good. That's the, that's the motivator. And then that motivation and that value has brought you now to look, okay, how can venture be utilized to, to, um, to create a change? And so in, in terms of, first of all, is why not go for the nonprofit route, right? If, if it's a motivation of solving uh, yeah. uh, that issue, why, why go through the venture route, which is something that is so interesting to me. Um, you know, people, more and more social entrepreneurship is, uh, Michelin entrepreneurship is resonating with individuals. So, why go the for-profit route, the investor route, rather than going to a nonprofit research or advocacy space? And second of all, is again when you're looking at say, Shai and 
again, if you're if you're allowed to share this with you, yeah, I understand if you're not. But when you're in that decision between looking at as a VC, as an investor, I could either go with someone like Tesla or I could go with Better Place. What goes through your mind as investing when you're looking at those options? So those are two yeah. things: social venture right. against nonprofit, and then how did you make the decision that you obviously felt was best in following one path rather than another? Well, I. Um I actually did both because Steering America's Future Energy, of course, is a nonprofit and um, uh, was really at the heart of um, pushing uh, the government of the United States to take seriously the issue of energy security and, and dependence on oil. And I think has accomplished a tremendous amount there and is continuing to accomplish a tremendous amount despite the very, very difficult environment that uh, we find ourselves in Washington, D.C. today. But um, the, uh, the other part of the question, um, you know, I, first of all, I think. Um, the um, it, it, it's about long-term sustainability, and the only way that you can be successful long-term is to build a business that um, it ha that that that, that um, pays pays for itself and pays uh, its owners over time. And um, you know, you talk about the uh, oil industry and the auto industry and all of the industries that uh, surround those. Industries and you're talking about uh, basically 10 trillion dollars a year uh, of of a, of a global market. So there's obviously a tremendous uh, economic opportunity if uh, you can uh, find the companies that are going to impact this change in, in mobility. So, so just to clarify, I'm interpreting this thing as if I want to see a sustainable change, that change needs to reflect in the business model with the sustain itself rather than to donations. It's, it's addressing a major so, problem that's self-sustaining. It's not, it's not e either or, but I think that, you know, um, and, and they play off of each other from time to time. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think um, um, change can come from government, it can come from nonprofit sector, it can come from the for-profit sector. Um, I think, um, you know, for me, the easiest way to, to affect change um, is uh, is through the for-profit sector. Um, the uh, the rules are very clear. The uh, motivations are very uh, transparent, and um, the I think there's just uh, a, a lot more self self-reliance. I love it. I, I love what you just said. Rules are very clear, and the motivations are very transparent. So it's just profit is something for a lot of people can agree on. Mm -hmm. um, now going back to the second part of you're looking at better place, and you're looking at Tesla. And you're an investor, an individual who clearly is, um, cares about the issue. Uh, how do you make a decision between one or the other? How do you make that well, choice as an investor? So, as some a people might have. Some people might have looked at the slide where it had the expected uh, return on investment uh, five or ten years out. That actually was unimportant to me because I thought it was, um, and it often is, just pure speculation. Um, I um, and and what was at, at that time at the beginning of that process, it was only um, my own uh, investment dollars that I was thinking about, and so I, I didn't have a fiduciary responsibility to anybody else um, to uh, figure out what would be the more profitable uh, business with the business with the with the best return. Uh, what I was looking at was what would be the business that would be most likely to have an impact on. Uh, the uh, oil dependence, um, and uh, as I as I described, I thought uh, better place was the business to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. 
And one question that was very curious to me, again, I, you know, when I, at the end of Better Place, you were able to successfully secure almost close to a billion dollars in funding for the organization, for the company. In that case, the, the company was not able to be successful. How are you able to go on? And uh, there are so many individuals as entrepreneurs or, or investors that we identify our whole self-worth with our venture. We're, we see so much of ourselves with the success, with impact, and also not just the success of, of the company, but also the mission that we're supposed to carry out. Mm -hmm. And here I go, I, I, I raised this resources. There were relationships that were built around this, this common goal. And at the end of it, it was, it was turned out to be something that was not came to fruition. So how do you go on? Look, there, uh, it, it was a very difficult period at the, uh, at the end of the Better Place uh, effort. No question about it. But, um, you, know, uh, you, you know, some of the most uh, successful um, businesses in the world have come from people who have um, uh, first failed. And in fact, uh, in the book Startup Nation, one of the attributes of Israel that's identified as uh, important to its success as a startup nation is that uh, failure is not um, uh, does not come with a social burden as it does in, in some places. It does not come with any type of shame associated with it. Uh, everybody respects the effort that was made. Um, I felt um, I felt um, very uh, responsible and um, uh, and 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 terrible for those people who uh, had entrusted us uh, with and and uh, with their investment dollars. And by the way, a lot of my own as well. Um, but um, I, I also felt that the, you know the mission that um, uh, was motivating me from before Better Place started uh, was still important uh, uh, to diversify the uh, energy uh, in transportation. And um, really what I began to learn in, in the year following uh, the end of Better Place was that uh, the intersection of transportation and technology um, created opportunities that went even well beyond just um, the type of drivetrain that a vehicle has and the, type, uh, and, and the way that it, uh, propulsion is created. Um, and that you could actually improve safety and save lives in that way. You could improve convenience and increase productivity over time. Um, and uh, that uh, there was, uh, you know, and the ending, ending oil could end up actually being a uh, very pleasant side effect of uh, actually aiming at at, at these uh, these other goals uh, as well. And they all kind of went in tandem. That's what motivated me again, and that's what uh, unexpectedly I have to say uh, convinced me to um, continue to focus on uh, transportation as an investment uh, thesis. Can you? How do you create that positive self-talk? How do you look somebody in the eyes who you have in the past? They've entrusted in you. They believe in you. And that was a failure. And then you go back again with the funds in a similar space. And you say, now Revel is going to be the answer. How do you do that? When one should not assume that there was a tremendous amount of overlap between uh, the uh, Better Place investors and, and then the new mobility investors. Um, uh, although uh, many of the Better Place investors remain um, friends and confidants and uh, understood uh, that we failed in, in good faith. Um, you know, I, uh, I, I, I'm, 
it's, it's as much about uh, my own uh, you know confidence as uh, anyone else's and you know, as I said, uh, I, I thought there were lessons that came from from Better Place um, uh, that uh, helped me along the way, and there certainly were a tremendous amount of uh, relationships and experiences that uh, uh, I was able to parlay from from Better Place, uh, you know, into um, creating uh, what ultimately became uh, the, the venture fund that uh, that we're uh, working out of today. Uh, you're amazingly strong. Okay. Uh, and uh, uh, can you explain a little bit about at that time you were not an OLF right. when you were involved in Better Place. Yep. So Better Place goes into <coughs> bankruptcy, and now is the time to make Aliyah. What was the thought process about making Aliyah oh, in 2015? That was first of all 2013, 2013 but uh, it, it, uh, again, um, as I said, all this happened uh, pretty accidentally. None of this was pre-planned. Uh, mm -hmm. Not the Aliyah. And not the venture fund. Um, what happened was that um, at the uh, conclusion of Better Place, which was at the end of May 2013, my wife said, "Well, you know, maybe uh, this coming academic year is the time to um, uh, go spend a year in Israel with uh, with the kids, as we had discussed doing uh, at various junctures." And uh, my only um, reason to uh, have apprehension about that was it would put me in daily contact with many of the people who I had convinced to buy electric cars that now did not have a network to operate on with the uh, closure of Better Place. But uh, despite that, um, we decided to do it. And it literally, it was not a trial year. It was not, uh, we'll see how it goes. It was, we're going for a year and everything um, from uh, renting our house in New Jersey to um, uh, the house we, we rented in Renata uh, was contingent on that this was just a single year. It was very, very late in that year when uh, consensus among the kids especially was kids. that we should do a second year. And uh, this is a process that played out several more times until <laughs> we finally figured out that um, maybe, and uh, of course the, the fund by that point had uh, already come into being and uh, it, it seemed like all arrows were pointing towards that we're supposed to be staying. So that's how it evolved. Okay, so you, you almost like accidentally, like you said, made Aliyah. Accidental VC, accidental OLA, that's right. And your kids, why did they want to stay here? Um, they uh, really uh, enjoyed the, uh, the lifestyle. They were at an age where um, the uh, delta between the, the freedom they had uh, on the streets of Renana was much greater than that, uh, the streets of uh, Temple and Englewood, New Jersey. So they, um, um, they, they were very enthusiastic about, about being here. Would you say the the reason why you stayed was because your kids specifically felt like this would be a better lifestyle. You just felt it was a better lifestyle for your family? Uh, yeah, I think that's primarily the, the answer. Ah, okay, great. That's such an interesting reason. Okay, very, very interesting. Okay, so tell me just a little bit more. Um, there's this, I, I, you, you always had a passion for horses. <laughs> well, it's, what is that? this is not something I get asked about very often. And um, when, it, when it does occasionally show up in uh, my Twitter feed or something, uh, it, I think it throws a lot of people off. But this goes back really uh, to before I had very much to do, not only with Israel, but with uh, Jewish life um, in my uh, teens when uh, my dad was um, asked by one of his employees to join him in purchasing a racehorse. And he did, and um, we went to see the horse race, and um, I became... Um, very close with, uh, with the trainer, with, uh, with the driver of the horse, and um, 
it became a, a big passion that uh, continues to this day. And since that time, my dad and I have owned um, trotters and pacers. Um, they, um, they race uh, in New Jersey at the Meadowlands, in New York at Yonkers Raceway, uh, uh, and other places in Kentucky and in Toronto. Um, and uh, every year, my dad, uh, who's uh, 83, continues to go to the, to the sales and to uh, identify a uh, few uh, young horses to, to buy and, uh, and trust with our trainer. And um, uh, I don't get to uh, see them race live very much uh, anymore, uh, uh, both because I'm here and because uh, a lot of the races uh, end, end up conflicting with Shabbat. But um, I, uh, I do uh, follow it as closely as I can and um, uh, get a lot of uh, pleasure out of it. That was just curious. What, what, what gives you pleasure about that? Um, it's uh, to me, it's the most interesting sport. Uh, really? Yeah. Uh, you know, first of all, we have uh, we have horses today uh, that we've owned uh, members of that same family through seven, eight, nine generations, uh, going back to the 1980s, and to see it evolve over time, uh, and to see um, you know, which great horses end up producing um, great horses, which great horses end up not producing. Um, uh, over over time, uh, to me, is, is, is fascinating, and uh, and uh, I find the horses extremely graceful. The uh, strategy of of racing, uh, both uh, uh, in scheduling uh, horses uh, and and then in in uh, within within the race itself, uh, to be uh, to be fascinating. Um, it, it's uh, uh, a lot more engaging to me than than really other any other type of sport, um, and. Uh, I say that even uh, absent uh, the element of, of wagering, which um, of course brings another dimension <laughs> to it, um, which uh, a lot of people find find interesting as well. Um, every year um, these days, um, my team uh, we go to the big CES conference in Las Vegas, um, where uh, most of our companies go, where a lot of the auto industry goes. And um, so this past year, um, we finally uh, finished up on Thursday afternoon, uh, all exhausted from all of our events and our meetings and. Uh, walking through uh, one of the uh, hotel casinos, I saw the um, uh, on the screen a uh, uh, familiar sight of, uh, of Yonkers, uh, Yonkers Raceway uh, uh, being broadcast from New York, and, and, and the team uh, gathered there, and uh, I went back into my old um, uh, mode of, uh, of, of of looking over uh, the uh, the program and, and, and picking some some uh, some winners, and uh, it was a very very fun moment. Amazing. <laughs> A few more questions before you go, and then have to go shortly. Um, curiosity: Individuals who are making aliyah, who are entrepreneurs, um, who have fears of is this country going to be able to create an environment for me to be able to succeed, or I have a business in the states? Uh, I've always had a dream of making aliyah. Is there some advice that you can share with them? Some of the concerns that the, how to lay some of the concerns they might have, or how you how you would. What would you say to them if they were listening to you? Well, I think it's very individual, and um, I'm not sure that anyone could have convinced me uh, six years ago that um, uh, it, it, just to follow this particular path and then that, that, that everything would work out um, you know, as, well, as well as it has. I, I don't think I would have been convinced of that. Uh, but um, you know, I think there are just a lot more things that are Kind of uh, left to serendipity and out of our control than uh, than we appreciate, and um, I feel again very blessed that you know, at least today things have worked out uh, uh, so well um, for us uh, being here. Um, but you know, I mean, I think um, you, you have to uh, you know just fundamentally uh, think about where 
uh, is the right place for you to be. And um, uh, in, in terms of opportunities, um, you know, I think yeah, there's no no shortage of opportunities to, to find uh, here in Israel. And I think the uh, society is uh, more and more dynamic all the time. The economy uh, continues to grow, and um, the uh, opportunity to um, uh, find um, exciting things to, to be doing here um, will will continue to expand over time. So I'm very bullish on on Israel's uh, future, um, and uh, feel very um, good about the uh, decision we ultimately did make to, to stay here. Um, you know, I wouldn't uh, uh, evangelize that uh, to, to someone who's in a, in a different situation, but I also um, would encourage anyone who thinks that it might be the right thing for them to um, to, to, to examine that uh, more thoroughly than than, uh, than we had intended to, and we're lucky enough to accidentally come to come to this decision. And in terms of one of the things that you mentioned in, in an article in the Times of Israel that was like published maybe like six years ago, that you felt like the government had a lack of support for a better place. That, uh, and then now it seems like things have shifted recently. What role does the government play in the success of the entrepreneur here, here in Israel? How can we make sure that the government is, the government is an ally to what we're doing? Um, it's, uh, it's funny because when you began to ask the question, I thought you were actually referring to something that was published just last night in the Times of Israel, which is related to that, which um, is the fact that we're, we're now uh, lucky enough to be building a home in Renana, and we uh, want desperately to use solar power, uh, both because it's cleaner and it's less expensive. Um, but um, we're uh, actually being stymied in that because the city of Renana requires that the roof be red and be tilted in a certain way that doesn't lend itself to maximizing uh, solar. So um, I, I wrote that piece with the hope that uh, we can persuade enough uh, of my uh, fellow residents of Renana to uh, put pressure on local government to permit us to use the solar power. So there's a small example of uh, how the government can get in the way, I think, of both innovation and, uh, and, and uh, economic uh, rationality. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the, um, the whole um, better place um, situation vis-a-vis -vis the government, I think, is too um, nuanced and complex to sort of delve into here. Uh, suffice it to say that um, it, the government belatedly uh, came to the conclusion that electrification was the uh, way to get off of oil and really, I think, uh, missed a huge opportunity to um, actually have uh, been supportive and to help uh, Israel uh, lead the world on electrification rather than trail the world as it is currently now with uh, only the first the meaningful numbers of electric cars really uh, coming to Israel's roads this year. Um, uh, there's going to be um, a very, very interesting um, battle that will go on in Israel and Tel Aviv, and it will go on in uh, every major city around the world. And I think this is not something that's going to happen in uh, five or ten years, as uh, self-driving taxis may, uh, but it's going to happen in the next uh, 12 to 24 months, and that is uh, about the, the use of streets, uh, because um, it turns out in Tel Aviv that uh, lots of people find it much more convenient and actually more fun to get around on uh, kick scooters. And the kick scooters are, that you see today uh, are only the first uh, on uh, uh, innovation that's going on around uh, form factors for smaller uh, lightweight vehicles that are more practical for getting around crowded cities. 
uh, right, we, governments around the world, cities around the world have decided over the last hundred years to really give priority to cars. Cars driving, to cars parking, uh, all the space. Look at how much space in your city is devoted to cars and, uh, and the economics of it. You don't pay to use those streets. You, you often don't pay to park on those streets. Uh, and yet that's real estate that's uh, very, very valuable. And so um, whereas a lot of people's first instinct when they see these scooters is you know, get them, get them out of uh, my way, get them off my sidewalk, get them off of my streets. Um, I think that the uh, pendulum is beginning to swing the other direction, and soon it'll be the cars that will have to justify their existence. Um, and uh, like I said, this, the fascinating thing to watch is that this is a battle that will play out in all sorts of different cultures and all sorts of different political environments. And um, I, I, I'm not going to predict uh, how, it, how it's going to turn out, but I think it's going to be pretty fascinating to watch. Uh, just last question. Um, if an individual uh, is preparing for a meeting with you, and it's a company that is in, in mobility, individuals that are trying to create transformation in the way people tra are transported, uh, how do they get prepared to meet with a VC? Like, what do they need to know? What do they need to be ready for? Um, I, I think there are actually. Uh, a lot of resources that one can find online that can answer that question uh, more thoroughly than, than I can here. Look, um, you know, for us, the first thing that we look for is people who are on our wavelength and who we can work with. And um, sometimes they're very, very successful companies that um, we don't end up backing because um, it's just uh, the chemistry is, isn't right. Um, and uh, we work very closely with our companies. Um, I think every one of the CEOs of one of our portfolio companies um, gets value and enjoys uh, their relationship, and certainly that, that's reciprocal. Um, and so, um, you know, that, that's our that's our first criteria, and it's not really something that uh, I think uh, one can prepare for. That's just you just you just see how how that dynamic evolves. Obviously, um, you know, you have to have a uh, a product or or a service that is going to fit the market and is going to not just fit the market uh, as it exists today, but as we expect it to exist in, uh, in the future. Um, and, uh, and that's got to be a market that's sizable enough to justify a valuation on a company that um, is within uh, the confines of venture economics, which are a very different animal than mo most other ways of, <laughs> right. of looking at, um, at, at, at companies or at, uh, uh, at, at businesses. Uh, you know, we uh, expect that uh, despite uh, our best efforts and those of our entrepreneurs, many of our companies ultimately, statistically, will not succeed. And so we need those that do succeed to succeed on a, on a big scale. And so that's uh, uh, one of the things that constrains us, is that sometimes we do see good ideas that we think can be good businesses, but they're not going to be um, businesses that have a addressable uh, uh, market that uh, justifies um, us taking a chance on them. So, uh, beyond that, you know, I, I, I think uh, there are lots and lots of online resources that are pretty easy to find that uh, people can educate themselves as to how best to prepare for being VCs. Last question a friend of mine asked. Um, are you confident about the next five years of entrepreneurship in Israel specifically? Absolutely. Um, people, you know, um, it's, a, it's a Jewish attribute to, to uh, what, what did Shimon Peres say? Um, about you know what uh, what uh, was is the driver of uh, innovation in Israel dissatisfaction, and uh, so you see dissatisfaction all the time, including uh, maybe our education system isn't good enough anymore. Maybe it is 
a brain drain and everyone is leaving, by the way. Uh, my experience is that people do leave and they go to the uh, Bay Area or they go elsewhere in the world, but more and more I also find they come back. So I think that there's very healthy circulation of uh, Israelis and of Olim that go and come. And the fact that uh, we, we, we live in, in a world that is so much less binary uh, than it used to be in terms of communications and uh, transportation, I think, is, is, a, is a tremendous blessing. Uh, so, um, but, um, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm very bullish on Israel's future. I think uh, the, um, the society is actually really healthy and positive and um, thinking about how to solve big problems. And uh, so I, I think we'll continue to see uh, more innovation uh, uh, over the next five years. Any last words you'd like to share or anything specific that we left out that you just want to make sure that it's heard? Um, no, I mean, uh, I, I think you, you asked really good questions and we covered a lot of ground and, um, you know, I... Is uh, there a, a book or a resource that you mentioned total and you also mentioned obviously Startup Nation. Is there anything else that you think is important for, uh, for entrepreneurs who are listening? Just take a look at this as a resource that you, you trust personally. Um, yeah, well, the, there's two, two different categories there. I mean, if you want to understand what happened to Better Place and uh, understand how a company with a billion dollars and a tremendous amount of uh, hype and hope um, ended up evaporating, then uh, that's, that's a pretty good dramatic read. Many people say it, it reads like uh, fiction, and <laughs> some of us wish, wish it were fiction. But, um, you know, aside from that, you know, in terms of venture, like I said, there's lots of resources on, on the web, lots of, lots of interesting books. Uh, I think people can discover those uh, on their own. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Pleasure. Thanks very much for coming by.